You know, for one of the first times all year, I truly have no idea which way this is going to go. Should make for a fun new year. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lombardi Time Bruiser. I'm your host, John Delray. Today, looking ahead to Packers versus Vikings. The New Year's Eve matchup with the playoffs on the line. Both of these teams very much in the mix for those last couple wild card spots for the NFC. Vikings, this is not at all the same Vikings team that we faced weeks ago. Nor is it the same Packers team. Both teams weirdly moving up and down at the same time. So a rather fascinating matchup, and one that I'm going to admit right here at the forefront, we just don't know a lot about, given how much these teams have changed and what some of the personnel changes have looked like. So a fascinating matchup made more fascinating by the lengthy injury report for both of these teams. So let's get right to it. Taking a look for the Green Bay Packers, they do have a bunch of questionable individuals as well as a few doubtful. On the questionable side of things, you've got Robert Rochelle, Darnell Savage, TJ Slayton, and Dontavian Wicks. When Matt LaFleur was asked in his press conference today, how did Wicks look in practice today? We know he was limited. How did he look? Matt LaFleur responded with, limited. The limited guy was limited. That's how he looked. Good, good. We'll see if he can go on Sunday. In the doubtful category then for the Packers, they've got Devondre Campbell, Luke Musgrave, Luke Tenuta, Emmanuel Wilson, and Christian Watson. Now, in the case of Musgrave, Tenuta, Wilson, none of them are technically on the 53-man roster at this juncture. So if one of them were to buck the odds and actually play, which Lafleur acknowledged there's at least a rough chance for Musgrave, there would have to be some kind of roster move made. Also, while we're on the topic of creating roster moves for the Green Bay Packers, it does have to wonder if this is the week where Bo Melton is somehow put on the 53, perhaps at the expense of Samare Toure, somebody else. But Bo Melton, I believe, has used up all of his practice squad elevation, so something may have to occur there in order to elevate him again. Now, looking at the Vikings side of things, they've got their own number of injuries. One rookie wide receiver, Jordan Addison, limited Thursday and Friday. He gets the questionable tag. Cornerback Makai Blackman, who played quite well against Green Bay in their prior meeting this year, he's questionable. Troy Dye, questionable as well. Out would be Theo Jackson, Byron Murphy, and Jalen Naylor, as well as rookie defensive tackle Jacqueline Roy. But more notable for the Minnesota Vikings happens to be all of the individuals that they have on IR. And this is a rather talented group. This is just the notable names on IR. Of course, quarterback Kirk Cousins, which has led to the revolving door that is Minnesota's quarterback situation, as well as running back Cam Akers. Tight end now TJ Hawkinson, who was having the year of his life. He now finds himself on injured reserve. Former Packer defensive lineman Dean Lowry now on injured reserve, as is edge rusher Marcus Davenport. Now, I will say, too, since it's topical right now with Cousins being out for the year, they've tried, like they traded for Josh Dobbs, he got benched. They put in Nick Mullins, he got benched. Now they're deciding to go with fifth-round rookie quarterback Jaron Hall, who we're going to talk about a bunch in a little bit. But first, let's talk about the last time that these two teams played. And I will say that this is a different formatted episode because this is the second time that these two teams are playing. So if you're a regular listen to the game previews, just be ready for some format differences. Back in week eight, the Vikings steamrolled the Green Bay Packers 24 to 10. And this was perhaps, I mean, you might want to look at the Raider game, maybe even argue the Giant game, although the Giant game was kind of weirdly placed because they just had a bunch of success. But in the midseason lull of the Green Bay Packers, 
this was perhaps the most broken they've been, losing 24-10 to Minnesota at home. So let's just take a look at the Minnesota side first. And I'll fully acknowledge, heading into this game, their roster's totally different. You know, now they don't have Kirk Cousins or TJ Hawkinson or Cam Akers. Now they've got Ty Chandler starting running back. It's not even Madison playing that much anymore. Oh, and by the way, Justin Jefferson is back after missing the first matchup against the Green Bay. But ultimately in this game, Kirk Cousins, while he was still playing, did much of what he wanted. He was 23 of 31 for two touchdowns. It's 274 yards before leaving the game with the injury. And the Packers did see this weekend starter Jaron Hall very briefly in that game. He was three of four for 23 yards as the game was pretty well already in hand. As for where all of Kirk's yards went to, it's nearly an even split between Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson, and then the game's leading receiver, KJ Osborne. I will say this, though, this is one game where the Packers' run defense actually functioned like a run defense where they held the Vikings to a total of only 62 yards on the ground. On the Packers' side of things, this was maybe the ugliest game of the year. Love was 24-41 for 229 yards, one touchdown, and one pick. He also was sacked four times. Running the ball, they didn't do that well either as A.J. Dillon averaged 1.8 yards per carry, and the leading rusher on the day for the Packers was Jordan Love with 34 yards rushing. All in all, Minnesota caught Green Bay and forced them to have their lowest offensive point and really just threw the whole kitchen sink at them. Green Bay had no answer, and there was the ball game. So let's overview Minnesota. Currently, they are sitting at 7-8, and 2-5 and five at home, 5-3 and three on the road. Of course, this game is taking place in Minnesota, so that bodes well for Green Bay. They've gotten wins against the Panthers, Bears, 49ers, Packers, Falcons, Saints, and Raiders. And they've gotten losses against the Bucks, Eagles, Chargers, Chiefs, Broncos, Bears, Bengals, and Lions. Most notably, they have dropped three of their last four games while searching for some kind of formula to make the offense go again. As for how this roster is different than the last time they played, I've already covered all of the injuries. But one notable signing today that actually occurred very recently was Anthony Barr. Yep, that one. The one who hurt Aaron Rodgers years ago. He just got elevated to the active roster for the Vikings. Yeah, that guy. Hope Jordan Love has his collarbone pads outfitted, customized, ready to go. Now, taking a look at Minnesota, what kind of yardage they get, what kind of points they get, I'm going to limit this conversation to only be the last three weeks. Generally, lately, I've been taking kind of like full season approach and the last three weeks. We're at the point now where it really feels like trends are more important than the overall picture, especially in the case of a team like Minnesota, which has undergone such radical changes. So let's take a look at just the last three. In terms of passing offense, they're getting 251 yards per game. That's eighth in the NFL. They're still getting yards through the air. Rushing offense is sitting at 97.3. That's 22nd in the NFL. And in terms of points, 17 points per game over the last three, that's 27th in the NFL. Even without Hawkinson, the team is still loaded at wide receiver with Jefferson, Addison, and Osborne. The question is whether their quarterback has been able to complete the ball to them and not the other team. And I will say, too, there's obviously, this is where I talk about the quarterback. There's not a lot to talk about here. Jaron Hall's barely played. He's been part-time player in two games this year. He's a rookie. So I went and looked up his college scouting reports. And basically, in summary, Hall's a little dude, about six feet, 210 pounds below average size for an NFL quarterback, but he does have a true fastball on short and intermediate throws. He's nimble and evasive. Some reports even called him a dual threat. That's not good news for Green Bay. His downfall, however, tends to really creep up when under quick pressure specifically. 
if you can get the pressure to him quickly, it seems like his technique completely goes out the window and falls apart. And while his arm strength is capable of delivering a fastball, it's not exactly the type of arm strength that gets down the field. A lot of reports of short, deep passes from Hall, and it wasn't a matter of trying to put too much touch on or anything like that. It's just they didn't get home to where they were supposed to go. So the other thing is his ball placement also wanes when going against taller competition. I found that on one little bullet point. So send all the big dudes at him. Honestly, in some ways, the arm, the nimble, kind of sounds like Tommy DeVito. Hopefully, the Packers could do better this time around against someone like this. So now, taking a look defensively at the Minnesota Vikings, giving up passing defense. They're giving up 230 yards per game, 18th in the NFL. Rushing defense, 93 yards per game, 10th in the NFL. In terms of points, they're giving up 19 points per game, tied for 7th. And frankly, that's really buoyed by the shutout that they got against the Las Vegas Raiders. Remember that infamous game where Minnesota won 3 to nothing a few weeks ago? That that's really doing a lot of heavy lifting here on the points per game. I'll show you why in just a minute. The Minnesota defense is truly unique. What Brian Flores is cooking up there is, is fascinating. And a lot of people thought that the Minnesota defense was truly talent deficient. And in some ways, yeah, it kind of is, especially with number one corner Byron Murphy out. But the way that he's calling the game, see, seemingly elevating their defense. I've talked on the Green Bay side of things a lot about how the parts seem greater than the sum. And generally, that's a quarterback or a coordinator problem. Minnesota, the sum is absolutely greater than the parts. And how they're doing it is perhaps the most fascinating aspect about this whole thing. So I know that this is actually a week old. Badger Noonan on Twitter posted this, so I'm borrowing that from his retweet. But it's a week old, and Dan Pizzuta put out that the Vikings are in their own world with how they play defense. Yeah, I know it's kind of tough to see there, but that graph is basically like the bottom axis is how often teams blitz. The top is how often they drop eight in coverage. What? Look at that graph. For those of you who are on Spotify or audio podcasts exclusively right now, basically in the lower left quadrant of the graph, meaning they don't do either one of those things that much, you have 31 teams. A more aggressive in blitzing would be the Giants and the Bucks. More aggressive in dropping eight in coverage would be like a team like the Saints. But 31 teams are in the lower left. And then the Minnesota Vikings, all alone in the upper right corner of the graph. Nate Tice of Yahoo Sports goes on to say that the NFL league-wide rate for four pass rushers is 69%. The rate the Vikings defense brings for 30. They do it under half as much as any other team, which means they're either sending extra or sending fewer on the remainder of all of those snaps. 70% of their snaps get more or less than the standard of four pass rushers. But there is something to be said for maybe the defense getting figured out as of late. The Purple Persuasion, which is a Minnesota Vikings podcast and page, put out two days ago. As the Vikings defensive coordinator Brian Flores' defense been figured out, the defense went from allowing only one touchdown between weeks 11 and 14, but now has allowed 54 points in the last six quarters, including one overtime quarter. Then he also goes on to say that not only this, but Flores' defense has allowed 400-plus total yards the last two games. And look, many people wondered aloud if this Flores 
defense, if this concoction, if this extreme all or nothing could actually last an entire season, more or less be like a new way of playing defense in the NFL. And what we're seeing is maybe not because in the last stretch, as the purple persuasion pointed out, it's not going well defensively for Minnesota and nothing really has changed that much in the way that they're using their personnel. The question really for Green Bay's offense is if they've deciphered the code to read when are we going to get everyone blitzing versus everyone dropping back. So a few more supplemental stats here. In terms of getting sacks per game, Minnesota gets 3.3 sacks per game. That's tied for six in the NFL. Again, this is over the last three weeks. Getting sacked, they get sacked four times a game. It's 28th in the NFL. In terms of turnover margin, negative 0.3. That's tied for 18th in the league. And I will say, too, that is tied with Green Bay. But also, I will point out, that again, a tidbit of an anomaly here. If you look at just the last couple weeks, they are throwing interceptions at an absolutely absurd rate, including multiple games with four interceptions over the last month. Penalties, Minnesota gets 5.7 penalties per game over the last three, it's 23rd in the NFL. By the way, Green Bay, Green Bay's fixing their penalty problem. Over the last three weeks, they only get 4.7 per game. That's 12th in the NFL. They're turning it around, everybody. Plays per game, Minnesota gets off about 63 plays per game, right around the same as Green Bay in the bottom half of the NFL. And then special teams, they're rated as 17th in the NFL per PFF. Green Bay underneath them, as we all know. So, now that we know a little bit about Minnesota, or at least what there is to know at this point, what are the keys to this game? How does Green Bay manage to win this game against Minnesota? Number one, win the time of possession. Kevin O'Connell has got to just be licking his chops having watched this defense over the last three weeks. They get beaten man against Carolina. They get beaten zone against Tampa Bay. Who knows what they did against the Giants, right? And so Kevin O'Connell, who's known as this offensive mastermind, has got to be sitting there going, <laughs> even with Jaron Hall, we can move the ball against these guys. And the staggeringly thing, or the staggeringly true part is he might be right. Because... Green Bay especially has seemingly struggled against quarterbacks like Hall, guys who are a little bit smaller, a little bit more nimble. DeVito, Young, both come to mind. So if Green Bay wants to win this game, they cannot allow Minnesota to just dink and dunk and hang on to the ball for 10 minutes at a time. This is one game that Green Bay must win time of possession. Make the young rookie quarterback have to play from behind. And then once you actually have a lead, don't just let up. Don't let them suddenly start throwing the deep ball, kind of like they did against Carolina, allowing Bryce Young to sneak back into the game with no fourth quarter defensive adjustments for Green Bay at all. Going to have to adjust. Going to have to get after Hall. Make the young guy have to beat you. In addition, offensively, this is one game. If Aaron Jones is truly healthy, as the Packers are saying, he's not on the injury report, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera then he, this should be a 20-plus game for Aaron Jones. And that doesn't mean that 12 of those touches come in the first drive of the game, and then we don't see him again until one random drive in the third quarter, and then that's it. This should be a 20-plus carry game for Aaron Jones, because really, what are you saving him for? The playoffs that you might not make? So it's time to get the ball to the best playmaker that you have on the field. And in doing so, absorb time. Number two. Get them turnovers. Dobbs for Minnesota had a four-interception game. Mullins has had a four-interception game. The Packers haven't had an interception, coincidentally, in a very long time. 
it's time for Hall to turn the ball over. But the valid question here for Green Bay is if they implement their characteristic zone, even if Hall throws a poor pass or a wounded duck or whatever you want to say, are any of Green Bay's defenders actually going to be close enough to a wide receiver to impact a poor throw? Because over the last few weeks, we haven't seen that much really at all. Carrington Valentine playing may actually be the best ingredient for that, unless, of course, he's told to back off and play deep zone. The really like the reality here, win the turnover margin, and you probably beat Minnesota. That's what they've shown over this losing three out of last four games. Green Bay needs to make sure to capitalize on that. And then really the last bullet point in this game to me, offensively, get the ball out fast. There might be eight blitzers coming at you on any given play, whether it makes sense or not. Brian Flores is basically just playing Madden and just pounding the engage eight button. Either that or like cover four, prevent. So you have to mitigate that with a quick hit option on nearly every play. If you just do these long route, relying on a receiver to beat someone kind of thing, like we saw in the midseason lull against Minnesota the first time, it might not go well. But having a quick hit option for Jordan Love on every single play can ensure that no matter what Minnesota throws at you, you will either have the time or the option to still be a productive offense no matter what you get. And I will say over the span of the last month, as Green Bay has really become one of the better offenses in the NFL, they have done a very good job of having varied approaches on every single play. Options for Jordan Love, if you will. But I feel like in this game, it's more important than normal for Love to understand that he does have options and to execute accordingly. So look, here are my final thoughts. Packers are going against a completely depleted Minnesota team that's lost three of four. They're starting a fifth-round rookie from BYU, and Green Bay's offense has been top five over the last two months. This should feel like a win opportunity for Green Bay, but it just doesn't fully feel that way, does it, given the defensive performance over the last three weeks? As I said in the intro, I'm truly sitting here for one of the first times all year not having any clue which way this could go. I could see this being a 30-point win for Green Bay if the defense actually looks good. I could see this be an eke-it-out last-second victory if the defense looks borderline competent. Or I could see this being the Buccaneers. And Green Bay just completely fumbling, losing the game. It seems like any outcome is possible in this game, which is truly astonishing given the personnel that Minnesota is preparing to roll out. And I know Green Bay is wounded too, but Minnesotas are bigger. <laughs> Let's say that, even though they do have Jefferson back. Still though, win this game and you more than likely control your own destiny for the playoffs. Lose this game and it's pretty darn close time to start prepping for next year. By the way, if you want to know who to root for this weekend, Go Bears, go Bucks, go Giants, and go Steelers. Those are the four best possible outcomes, some more important than others. But realistically, out of all those, if, if all those happen, Green Bay absolutely controls their destiny in Week 18. If a couple of them happen, Green Bay still controls their destiny in Week 18. So that's the rooting guide. Go Bears, go Bucks, go Giants, go Steelers, and of course, go Pack O in a game that we don't know what's going to happen. So let's just say this. I think Green Bay will be able to put up points. I think that Brian Flores' defense has shown a few cracks over the last week and a half, last couple of weeks. 
So I think Jordan Love, with the way he's throwing the ball, the way that he's commanding the offense, can get the ball moving. They're going to put up 30 points. As for the Vikings, they've been putting up 17 points per game over the last three. They're starting a rookie quarterback. That means against Green Bay, they're probably going to be better than their average. Let's give them 24. Packers 30, Vikings 24. Packers head into Week 18, controlling their own destiny. Watch party on Sunday. Me and Claudia will be here for a special New Year's Eve watch party for Packers versus Vikings. And that's all. I do hope you are having a fantastic week. And as always, most importantly, go Pack Go.